morning, um, how good it is to gather together uh, to praise and worship our God. I want to just read uh, as we start our service this morning from Psalm 62. And this is very fitting with the weather we have this morning and the weather we've had during the week. Um, it speaks of God being our, our rock and our refuge. So just a few verses from Psalm 62. It says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I was thinking this week, you know, when you had the storm and your, the place you seek out is where? Your home, isn't it? I don't, well, I'm not sure if any of you were out wandering about or walking in the storms this week. Hopefully not. Um, and it kind of took me by surprise. I was kind of thinking, ah, oh, this storm probably won't be that bad. You know, the last one wasn't that bad. And then I looked out and you see, you know, bins flying and trees swaying. And I was thinking, okay, I'm going to very much stay inside in that place of safety and refuge. And um, God, for us as believers, is that place of refuge. He is that place that we come to time and time again for shelter and protection. Um, but in, in verse 8 here of Psalm 62, it says, Trust in him at all times, O people. So God is not just our shelter when things are wrong, he's that shelter at all times. Um, whatever is going on in our lives, we come to him uh, for refuge. And, and let God be that rock to us um, in times of good and bad that we come to him as our refuge. So let me just pray as we uh, come to worship him this morning. Father God, I praise and worship you this morning that you are our rock and refuge God, I've seen it uh, so often in my own life that you are that refuge and shelter that I can come to, God, when things are, are tough, when things are difficult, when the storms of life are building up around me, God, and I can run back to the shelter of my God. But I've also seen it, God, in, in times of joy, in times when um, there's just so much to, to be joyful with in life, God. And yet still I can come to you in those times and be thankful that you are my God, that you are the one providing all of these good things. So God, as we come this morning with whatever is going on in our lives, whether it is a storm, whether the winds are blowing in our life, or whether all is calm and well, God, may we come before you and worship and praise you. You are our God in the good times and when things are smooth and going well, God. So may we lift our voices in praise to you this morning, our God and our refuge. Amen. Stand to sing. Let's think of the words that we're singing, and let's direct that to praise Almighty God. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Here every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. 
They're in the ground. There in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness laid. Then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory. Since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of net, can never pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ. No power of hell. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Amen. How great thou art. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hand hath made, I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder thy path throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think, that God is son, not sparing, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then shall I bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice. 
trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. H to H. She stands, oh, and time is in his hands, beginning and the end, beginning and the end. The Godhead free in one, the Father, Spirit, Son. The lion and the lamb, the lion and the lamb. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Name above all names. The name above all names, you are worthy of all praise, and my heart will sing how great is our God. Sing how great, how great is our God. Would you sing with me how great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Be seated in wonderful singing. We'll have a reading now. Um, thanks, Ruth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and, I, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Anamidad, and Anamidad the father of Nashan, and Nashan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Salmon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of, of Abijah. And Abijah was the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat the father of Jerome, and Jeram the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz the father of Zechariah, and Zechariah the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, or Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the, deport, of the deportation to Babylon. One of the more challenging Bible readings, <laughs> name after name. So thanks for... Uh, sorry, my... So just... 
uh, a few announcements for this morning. Just speaking of masks, we've probably seen during the week that it looks like uh, restrictions will be easing on mask wearing um, towards the end of the month. So until then, we'll continue to wear masks, particularly during the service and afterwards. Um, and we'll just take the guidance on that in the coming weeks. Just on that, I suppose, just for us to remain conscious of how different people feel about uh, COVID and masks, and some people will, will continue to be nervous. Um, so let's just be gracious to one another as a fellowship as we kind of transition through that time. Um, so for our service this morning, Brendan will be bringing God's word to us shortly uh, and also next week. So do pray for Brendan during the week as you're praying for the life of the church. Remember those who are preaching and bringing God's word to us. It's, uh, it's a crucial part of our service um, and uh, a crucial part of God's work of how he speaks his word into our lives. So keep him in prayer. Um, new for our service starting this morning, there is going to be a creche. So this is just for the little ones. It's going to be out to the room here at the back. Uh, there's also toilets up the back there. So that's just when the sermon is starting this morning. We're going to be starting creche. Um, if you have any questions on that, speak to Anne. Anne's at the back here. Um, and she can give you info, but just when the sermon starts, you can bring your young ones out, um, and Anne might explain the setup of creche to you then out there. Um, this coming Friday, we will have the, the adult Bible study here at 7. There won't be the youth group or the kids club. Um, it's midterm this week, uh, so we'll just have the adult Bible study this week at 7. Um, also, just, I guess, uh, to do with parking here in mornings, if you can try and park your cars in this car park right here or the, the one below if necessary and avoid parking up here above, if that makes sense. Um, there's another group that uses that car park, so we'll try and stick to this one. Um, coming up then for your calendar, you've probably heard already, the church day away is on the 12th. That's in Bandon, so it's coming up quite soon. Um, if, you're, if you haven't booked in yet, if you could get on to Steve Keating. Um, if you don't know who Steve Keating is, just talk to me afterwards and I can give you his details. Uh, he's just looking for a brief message just to say that you're coming along and how many are coming along. Um, I think the cost for that is five euro for an individual or 10 euro is the cap for a family. So um, hopefully you can make it along on the 12th of March. And then just the week after that on the 18th, so Friday the 18th, it's an extra public holiday which any of us working are delighted about. So that's the day after Paddy's Day, the Friday, is an extra public holiday. So I'm organizing a men's walk or hike. It is going to be an incline. <laughs> so it's going to be, I'll warn you, um, I have a habit of not warning. So yes, it is going to be a mountain, but it's going to be reasonable. Um, so the goal is to get everyone to the top and enjoy a day out, enjoy God's creation, not to conquer some major mountain. So the goal is to be an enjoyable day. So that's for the men on the 18th of March. Let me know if you can come along and we'll try and carpool together. Um, I would say anything from teenagers up, um, unless you want to bring a young one that you can carry, then <laughs> it's kind of teenage age up and uh, we'll try and have a good day out together. So I think that's everything announcements-wise. Brendan, thanks. Thank you, John. Let's, let's pray. Um, yeah. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we are here. We are your people in your midst. And we, as it were, are we're called to worship you above all things. Gracious God, we sang that song, My God, how great thou art. And the storm reminded us this morning of the greatness of our God. Um, it reminds us that we are not in control. It is the Lord God Almighty is in control of all things. Make us conscious of that more and more, gracious God. Awaken in us a sense of your glory and your holiness. For Lord God, we live in a world that is so very, very uncertain. We consider what's happening in Eastern Europe, in Ukraine. Lord God, um, man is mad. There is no other way that, but to say that the sinful, ridiculous behavior of mankind wanting to better one another. Gracious God, how foolish we are, starting wars, threatening wars, trying to terrify each other. It is indicative of what the state of man really is, that we are utterly foolish and sinful. Lord God, we need your grace. We need your wisdom. 
please awaken in politicians, in military people, the reasonable understanding that it is those caught in the middle who will suffer, the innocent ones, the children, the adults who are not fighting. It is all this awful things. Lord God Almighty, what a world we live in, that there is no sense of right and wrong, just power and greed. Lord God, have mercy on this world. Prevent war from happening. Bring sense to those who are in leadership, we pray. Father, we are thankful for, for the blessings you have given us. Lord, we look at the, the pandemic. It seems to be easing in this country. Thank you so much for that, for the wisdom you gave to um, medical people, for the wisdom you gave to politicians, for those who are overseeing it. Thank you that our country has escaped relatively lightly, not just in, in health terms, but even economically. Gracious God, you have blessed this land. Thank you for sparing us. Continue to ease the pressure and allow above all things that it would give us the opportunity to declare the goodness of our God to others, that people would realize that man is not in control. He could start wars. We can do foolish things. But, Lord, we cannot control anything. It is the Lord God Almighty who controls the winds and the waves, who controls the very thoughts of man. And so we come to you and ask that you would... Uh, awaken in mankind a sense of his own sin, his own inadequacies and foolishness, a sense of our need of salvation through Jesus Christ. Please do bless this country <clears throat> with a spiritual awareness. Hear us, Lord God. We pray in thanksgiving for our children that we have among us this morning. Thank you that we are at last able to start a, a creche in the room above there. We pray that you would bless all those mothers who are unable to be in with us, <coughs> excuse me, that they would be able to enjoy fellowship perhaps with one another as they care for their children. Bless us as a church. Protect us from all harm as you have done since we formed as your people. Lord God, bless your word to us in just a moment as we will be looking into it. Thank you for it. Bless it to us. Enrich us in our understanding. And Father, for our children who go to school who are off this week but who are struggling in a world that is so very changeable. Lord, bless our children with a desire to know Jesus while they are still young. Care for them and keep them. And I pray just now, Lord God, for Shane, Dean, who is up north with his family, that you would guide and direct him, give him safety as he travels, as he reports to churches on the blessing of the work you are doing here. And for Steve Keating in the U.S., Lord God, similarly, as he is back in the States, care for he and care for the family here in, in Ireland. Oh, Lord, bless us as a body and make us conscious that we are called to care for one another always. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's sing one more song before the sermon. Let's, let's stand to sing. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus. It's so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I prove he more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. And oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to trust his cleansing blood. And just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, and how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. 
believe in the sovereignty of God. I, I have to because I have to confess I made a mistake and the reading that Ruth read was the wrong one. <laughs> that was why I, I, I had sent to John the uh, correct reading, which was this, basically the account of the temptation of Jesus in the desert. Um, but it, uh, when I sent it on to Ruth, I typed in chapter one instead of chapter four. So that's why so thank you, Ruth. You did really well. Uh, you know, a round of applause there. <laughs> if you have your Bible there, if you have it, you might like to turn to John chapter 7, please. Um, John chapter 7. Um, in the church Bible, that is page... with a Bible that's not open too much as the pages are stuck together. So John chapter 7, it's page 1061 on, on the church Bible. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll read John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here. Go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, <clears throat> My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. <clears throat> Excuse me. You go to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. <coughs> Excuse me. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. <clears throat> and may the Lord bless the, the study and the, the reading and the study of his word. Um, and I suppose I, I hope that I can say that everyone here who is a Christian wants to be like Jesus. You want to be more and more like Jesus. What, what, what was Jesus like, basically? And if he 
if this is Jesus, do we want to be like him? And as I was preparing this, it reminded me of um, a well-known advertising slogan. And if I say this slogan, immediately everyone will know what I'm talking about. The slogan is Vorsprung durch Technik. Anyone ever heard that before? Right. And what does it advertise? Audi cars, yeah. And so the reason they picked that, hands up anyone who, who knows what it actually means, Vorsprung durch Technik. Anybody? It means advancement through technology or progress through technology. None of you knows what it means, but all of you know Audi cars German. Audi cars German. And let's face it, Audi cars are good. That slogan, believe it or not, was thought up by an Englishman because he was trying to promote Audi cars. But Audi cars didn't have, they, did, they just weren't appreciated in the English-speaking world. Part of the reason was it was 1971, wasn't too long after the war, and people still had a bit of resentment against Germany. They knew German engineering was good. They knew the Germans produced really good cars, but Audi had the problem, their image. They didn't want to go boasting saying, made in Germany, because that sounded boastful. And they wanted to promote the fact that German engineering is good, but do it with a bit of subtlety. So they thought this slogan, Vorsprung durch Technik, and it is, it's just one of the phrases that every person knows if you know anything about cars. And they managed to get the, the image across now more than 50 years later. We still know that slogan. It worked. And Jesus' brothers essentially were saying to him something similar. You want to make yourself known. You want to sell your product. Go and promote yourself. Do it with subtlety, but do it whatever way. You've got to put yourself about there, Jesus. You've got to be seen to be successful. Promote yourself. Well, it's all about you, Jesus. Well, they were, they were right. It was all about Jesus. And yet they were wrong as well. Because, you see, it wasn't all about Jesus. Because the reason that Jesus came was not to promote himself. It was to do the will of his Father in heaven. Which meant dying on the cross. Which meant not living for his own desires which meant not promoting himself. Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me. Because Jesus knew that it was not all about Jesus. It was all about obeying his Father in heaven. For you and for me, it is all about Jesus. That is why you were born. That was why you were created. That's why you were saved. Because it's all about Jesus. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he heard the words, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Why was the Father pleased with him? Because he obeyed his Father in heaven. And because he was obedient even to death and a cross, God exalted him to the highest place. You want to be like Jesus? Then be like Jesus. Behave like him. Do not promote yourself, but promote Jesus. He did not seek glory for himself. He came to do his father's will. It was his goal in life. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's all of you here, including the youngest children here. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. It was, but it was all to bring glory to his father in heaven. It was not to promote himself. And it's that aspect of Jesus that I want us to, to appreciate today. His mission was to save you to bring glory to his Father in heaven. It was to die for you. And your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to die for him. And I don't mean literally dying, but dying to your own desires. It may happen that you may have to die for Jesus, but generally in, in the Western world, that is not going to be a, a choice you will have to make. But you will have to die to yourself, that Jesus comes first. Just as he did not promote himself and his brothers didn't appreciate what it was like, equally, you must learn it is not about me or anything I do. But unfortunately, I have to say that sadly, Christianity, and particularly in modern Christianity, um, it, the, the reality is that 
we have forgotten that it's all about Jesus. And I know that many of you will say, look, we know it's all about Jesus. The trouble is we tend to make it more about ourselves. We make it about perhaps our church. You know, our church is flourishing or our denomination is flourishing or our, our mission organization is thriving. It's doing great things. Our idea of how to promote Jesus, that's the only thing that matters. It's better than, it's the greatest thing ever. And it's, you know, I'm not comparing myself to others. It's just, it's the best. And we tend to promote ourselves. The gospel has become all about me. And it sounds extreme for me to say this, but there is truth in that, that we have made the gospel about me and my desires. And this was something that Jesus' brothers just did not appreciate. For them, they thought, it is all about you, Jesus. You have the ability. You can work miracles. You're a great teacher. People are looking up to you. Go and show yourself to the world. Recently, you know, we had a few baptisms here just two weeks ago. And it was wonderful to see three people profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Three people declare that they are following Jesus, not following the world. But what does baptism symbolize? I think we all know that when you are baptized, you are declaring to the world, I am dying and I am rising again, going under the water and up again. I am dying to myself and I am living for Jesus. But the difficulty is that we struggle to let go of ourselves. We struggle to let go. Because <clears throat> sadly, I, I feel that we have forgotten the sacrificial dying of self that the gospel entails. We've taken in the salvation, and we're happy to say, Jesus has saved me. But we've forgotten the sacrificial dying of self. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And, and, but what is meant by the cross, um, and as I, as I was preparing this, I was reminded of, there was an incident in Acts chapter 17, it was, Paul was in Athens. So on his missionary journeys, he, he was in Athens, and he had to wait there for a number of weeks, as far as we know, for Timothy and for Silas or, or others to join him. And so he had time on his hands, so he did a bit of sightseeing. You know, you have time to spare. And so he did sightseeing, and, but what struck him was the number of idols in the city. Paul was struck, there are idols everywhere. And he, he said, I even came across an idol to an unknown God. To an unknown God. So Paul went to the Areopagus, which was the, the debating hall in, in, the, in the city of Athens. Athens was known as a great intellectual center at that time. And he started reasoning with the, with the people who were there. And he said, this God whom you serve is not an unknown God. I will declare him to you. And so he reasonably, he taught about Jesus. He taught about the fact that there is a God because these people essentially were pagans. They believed in all kinds of concepts of God, different things. There were so many idols. So Paul started reasoning and talking with them. The curious thing is, it says at the end of that, that description, a few men became believers among whom were Dionysius and a number of others. But it just mentions a few people became believers. Curious thing is, Athens, though it was a, a major city at that time, there was never any record of a church established in Athens, despite Paul's preaching there. There was never any record, nothing in, in the New Testament. There was no reference to the church at Athens or anything like that. It seems like Paul went to Athens and he preached but it wasn't very successful because he was, he was reasoning with people, trying to approach them from an intellectual point of view. Scholars debate whether this is, this is what happened or not, but it seems the next city he went to was Corinth. And if you read the letter to Corinthians, in the opening chapter it says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It was as though Paul had said, I tried reasoning with people in Athens and it didn't establish anything. But he got a church established in Corinth because he said, I desire to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
It was all about the cross. As I say, it's, it's debated among biblical scholars. Did, did Paul make a mistake in, in intellectualizing the gospel? I don't believe that. I, I believe in the sovereignty of God. And in fact, those very lines in Acts chapter 17 where Paul is reasoning with people where he says um, he, he determined the exact times and places where we should live and, and who we are. And uh, that was Paul reasoning with them. Now, God is able to take those lines because I know a friend of mine and he became a believer through hearing those very lines. God determined the exact times and places where we should live. And when he heard this, he said, God is in charge. It is answering the question of who am I and where am I meant to be and what is life all about? God did use those words. But when Paul went to, to Corinth, he changed his approach to the gospel and he said, it is all about the cross. It is all about the cross of Christ Jesus. But we have to keep in mind what is understood by the cross. What is understood? It means not just that Jesus died for your sins. It certainly does mean that. It doesn't simply mean telling people about God's means of salvation through the death of Christ at Calvary. It means repentance. It means not just Jesus died for your sins, but that you must turn from your sin. Not as a once-off occasion either, but as a way of life. It means dying to yourself and living for Jesus. Well, you may say, well, well I, I know that Jesus died for my sins. I repented when I became a Christian and I acknowledge my sin. And I'm sure every one of you here would say, yes, I am a sinner. I struggle with sin, but I plead with God to help me. But it's more than even that, it must be said. It is not just dying to sin day by day. It is total surrender of your whole self to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus' brothers did not grasp. Because you see, most of us here, I hope all of us, are willing to take the name of Christian. That you're willing to say, I am a Christian. Jesus is Lord of my life. I'm willing to go through the waters of baptism if necessary. I'm willing to take the joys and the struggles of Christianity. But dying to my own desires, my own needs, that is a struggle. It's not on our radar quite often. Christianity has, in many ways, it's become an add-on to our lives. And what I mean is this, that if I ask you, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Do you live for him alone? Do you put him before yourself? Because, you see, Jesus' brothers thought, surely, if you want to be famous and, and leave the country, if you want to have people follow you in great numbers, surely you need to put yourself out there. You need to be up there in the, in the mix. You have the ability. Go and do it. Because, you see, Jesus' brothers, just like we tend to think that it's all about me. We have not really died to our own desires. It isn't just sin. It is our own ego, our own desires. It's what we expect Christianity to be. And so often that's what's preached, unfortunately, from the gospel, that come to Jesus. He loves you. He wants you to be happy. He wants to bless you. He has a wonderful plan for your life, and he will bless you. And that is true. God has a wonderful plan for your life. The difficulty is, are you willing to obey his plan for your life? Because we, we tend to say, well, if Christianity is true, if the Bible is true, then your marriage should be happy. Your children should always be doing well. You should enjoy life, work, home. Everything should be better if you're a Christian. But it doesn't say that in the Bible. It does not say that. Luke, it must be said, in, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus speaks of being full of joy through the Holy Spirit. In John 17, Jesus says, I say these things to you so that your joy may be, my joy may be within you. And John the Baptist says that he speaks of himself and he says, that friend is, is full of joy when he sees the bridegroom arrive. When he, and, and John is talking about when he sees Jesus, he is filled with joy. Christianity is meant to bring joy to your life. That is a fact. It is true. But it is a joy that's based not in being happy in yourself, but being happy in Jesus Christ. Because the problem is that we tend to say, well, if I'm not happy as a Christian, then Christianity is a failure. 
Christ is a failure. He has not lived up to what I thought he would be. And as I said, Jesus' brothers didn't understand his mission because he said to them, for you, any time is right. We could translate that to say, for you, for you, any time, anything is, will work. Um, Jesus said, it will come, and I will come, and I, I will reveal myself to the world, but I have a mission. I will not deviate from it. It is what makes, it's not about what makes me look good, but it's what best suited to, to achieving the purpose for which my Father sent me to seek and to save sinners, dying for your sin and thus glorifying our Father in heaven. And what does it mean working out in our lives? What does it mean to live for Jesus if it's not simply sinning? Um, what else does it mean to live for Jesus? And, and look at a few instances of, of how it may challenge us to live as Christians. And one of the, the underappreciated values, aspects of being a Christian is, is that simple thing called faithfulness faithfulness and it is mentioned in the scriptures it's one of the one of the fruit of the spirit is faithfulness but we tend to think well i'm not sinning i'm not bringing jesus name into dishonor but faithfulness is something that we should work on so what does it mean to live to live as a christian sometimes it means struggling on through a, a marriage that is is not bringing joy to us. Because, you see, Christianity, we tend to think, should make everything right. Jesus didn't ever promise that, but that's the way we tend to think that if you're a Christian, life should be better. And if the gospel we heard says that, then it's not a true gospel. Because we tend to think, I do not want to be in an unhappy marriage. My personal happiness is more important to me than the good of the name of Jesus. Therefore, I'm getting out of this because it's all about me. I am more important to me than Jesus. And we, we tend to say, I, I'm not putting up with it. It's not right. Oprah Winfrey wouldn't want me to stay in an unhappy marriage, you know, so I shouldn't have to stay in these things. But Jesus did not promise that. He said, you live for me, not for yourself. Jesus said, for you, he said to his brothers, any time is right. And equally, we could say, for you, any reason is enough to do what suits you, your own personal happiness. But it is not about that. So what does God expect of us? Well, if you think back to the book of Hebrews, it says of God's people in the book of Hebrews, it says they were stoned to death. It says they were sawn in two. They were dressed in rags. They were chained. They were put in prison. They were jeered and flogged. They were persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. And that was... That was the, the writer to Hebrews saying, this is what Christianity potentially is about. It is not about your joys, your personal happiness. It is about the glory of Jesus Christ. And, you know, in, in just a hundred years ago past, or, or generations past, Christian missionaries went out in the name of Jesus to proclaim the name of Jesus to a world that did not know the good news. And they faced many of those things, jeers, flogging, persecution, being put in prison, and death. And they thought Jesus was worth it. And Jesus is worth that. And that is what he is saying. It is not all about you. It is all about me. Jesus did not live for himself or try to promote himself. It is your job to do that, to promote the good of the name of Jesus in any way you can. It is not about you. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. It probably does not mean that you have to die for Jesus, but it may mean putting up with a work situation that is very unhappy. It may mean turning the other cheek when you're getting abuse from family members, from neighbors, from friends. But Jesus came to die for you. He doesn't generally ask you to die for him, but he does ask you to die to self and live for him. And that is what it is to be a Christian. The Bible nowhere says that Jesus take away, will take away all your troubles and your sadness, all your problems. What it is, does say is Jesus will take all your sin, and that's worth more than anything. What else does it mean to put Jesus first? 
Well, I, I suppose I, I have to say, if I could ask you, what are your daydreams about? You know, what, when you think, ah, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if this? Wouldn't it be wonderful if I scored the winning goal in that game? Wouldn't it be wonderful if I was a great preacher up front and there were thousands of people listening to my declaring the truths of Jesus? Wouldn't it be wonderful that people would be admiring me, thinking, you're so wise, you're so strong, you're so beautiful, you're so whatever it is? Because, you see, our daydreams tend to put us up in front. They do not put Jesus up front. And yet, that is what Christianity is. It is putting Jesus at the front of our lives. He is Lord, and he calls on us to give him his rightful place. He never sought glory for himself, but you have the opportunity to bring glory to Jesus. And I have to admit, sadly, in my own daydreams, I put me first, and I suspect that most of you probably do as well. We tend to put ourselves up there as the hero, but it's Jesus we should be promoting. It is one of the great weaknesses of Christianity that we have forgotten what it is to die to self. And, and sometimes it could be um, promoting those things <clears throat> that are dear to our heart. As I said at the, at the start, it could be our, our local church thinking, we want this number of people to grow. We will take people from that church. We will take people we, because we believe that we are the best. We have the best preaching. We have the best program. We have the best children's crash. We have the best everything. And we tend to promote that which is ours. Or it could be promoting our denomination, whether it's Baptist or whether it's Pentecostal or, or Methodist or, or whatever. But we tend to put the thing that is dear to us at the center of the gospel. It could even be our, our own mission agency. I want to promote this particular Christian organization because it's doing great things. It's, it's, it's really honoring Jesus and it's better than all the others. And we tend to think like that. But it is all about Jesus at the end of the day. Now, the, I, I, we each have our agenda is what it amounts to. When Jesus was fasting in the desert, and this was what I'd hoped that Ruth would have read, but I'm sure we all know the story of Jesus fasting in the desert. Do you remember the, the, the temptations that the devil brought to Jesus? He said... You're hungry. Change these stones into bread. Show that you can do it. Go on, show me you can do it. And it must have been tempting. Jesus was fully human, remember. Just as you are fully human, Jesus was. So then the devil said, well, I'll tell you what. Go up to the top of the temple and throw yourself down. See if God will rescue you, if you believe in God. Go on, try it. Put God to the test. If he really loves you, if he is your father... And again, the devil was trying to tempt Jesus to basically to, to prove God. Or he said to him, I'll tell you what, I'll let you rule the whole world if you kneel down and worship me. It wasn't his to, to give anyway. It belonged to Jesus in the first place. But he was trying to appeal to Jesus' humanity, Jesus' human ego. Jesus obviously did not give in. He was the divine son of God, is the divine son of God. He was not going to give in to the devil's temptations because Jesus was also fully human. Let us never forget that. He was tempted in the desert. It wasn't that he was being teased and he could scoff and ignore it. He was fully human. With all the, all the tendencies that you have, Jesus also had those. But he was without sin. You and I are not so strong. We are weak. We are poor. But we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And he enables us to turn from sin, to turn from self, and to glorify Jesus. And there will always be temptations to put self first. You and I will always struggle with those things. But we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. first question I asked was, do you want to be more like Jesus? 
And what it amounts to is dying to self, not just to sin, but to the selfish ego as well. Those who have been totally given over to Jesus, whether it would be missionaries of the past such as William Carey or or others like them, they were men and women who went out in the name of Jesus. They did not count their own lives as worth anything, but they gave themselves to Jesus. And because they lived for the Lord Jesus Christ alone, he blessed their work. Now there were many others who did not become famous, who equally gave their lives for Jesus. But the glory always goes back to Jesus. It is always living for Jesus is what he desires. But I I have to say that so many believers have forgotten or perhaps never understood what it is to accept the call to follow Jesus, to take up our cross. It's been portrayed as a salvation to eternal life, a cure for all our struggles on this earth, and a source of happiness. But that is not the full gospel. And many would say that's true, but that is not the full gospel. It is living for Jesus Christ by dying to self. He rebuked his brothers because they could not see, they could only see things from a self-centered point of view. Let's make sure that Jesus doesn't have to rebuke us because we are living for ourselves rather than him. He calls us to die for self. May God enable us to do that. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us. Father, I give you thanks for your word that challenges us and awakens in us a realization that the gospel is all about Jesus. Help us, each one, to humble ourselves, to do what is right for Jesus' sake and not for our own sake. Please bless and encourage us, O gracious God, with the desire to live for Jesus alone. And as we take the bread and wine in just a moment, that it will remind us that Christ died for our sins and he calls us to die to self and to live for him in thanksgiving. Lord, help us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice for Jesus alone. Amen. Okay, thanks. Let's um, partake of the Lord's table. I was just thinking about what it means to partake of the Lord's table. We call it the communion because what it is is we are communing with God. We are remembering a very important um, thing that he's told us to remember him is his sacrifice, his death, and his resurrection. And then there's one verse in First John that I cling to and it's kind of my go-to verse and I hope it is for you too. It says in verse 8 of chapter 1 if we have no sin or if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, we have plenty of sin. I think that I can be 100% sure of that. If you say that you don't Bible is calling you out. You deceive yourself. But the the Lord's table is a way for us to confess it. Um, I hope more often than just every week. But we confess it and we know that we are filthy sinners but Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us. And yeah, I admit I don't put Jesus number one. And Paul tells us, you know, be offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Problem with living sacrifice keeps getting off the altar, isn't it? It's a funny joke, but living sacrifice means it's harder. I think it's nearly easier. If someone just shot me in the head, do you believe in Jesus? It's an easier sacrifice, or do you live your life today for Him? Do you make your decisions revolving around for His glory? That's harder, in my opinion. It's daily. But now let's take this. Lord's table as we drink uh, take the bread and the wine take it Lord you've died for my sin and what am I doing with my life right now confess that he is faithful and just Um, and as we distribute the the elements we will sing a song his mercy is more our sin is great but his mercy abounds let's stand to sing this song
uh, skip to the next song, Hannah. Let's sing this prayerfully in our hearts to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscience, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. And what riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy. Oh, praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is the bread um, and the night he was betrayed Jesus told his disciples he broke bread and says this is my body symbolizing the, the body that in a couple of hours time will be broken pierced Hung to the cross. Take it as a remembrance of me. So let's take it. In the same manner, he, he took the cup, the wine, distributed it to his disciples and says, This is my blood shed for you. And as Christians, let's remember the great sacrifice that he took for us as a ransom for us. Let's take the cup. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray to you now, knowing full well that you are God, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present. When we think of ourselves as being sinful, we begin to grasp the gravity of how depraved we really are, and yet we probably haven't scratched the surface of how sinful we truly are because we can't know. And yet you, God, who knows all things, know this, how utterly sinful, filthy, unclean, and yet you reached out and caused us to. And uh, Lord, that is the gospel, that your mercy is ever greater than our sin. Help us, Lord, to repent, know this in our hearts, and turn it. Pray to you for help to cling to you and trust you that you have forgiven us. And Lord, we will stumble and fall and struggle in this life. That's why we're longing for perfection. We're longing for that day where we'll be with you in glory. But Lord, at this time, in this life, we will struggle. And help us, Lord, in our Christian life 
um, to prove to us that our faith is genuine. Because if we're coasting through life and not trusting in you, we deceive ourselves and we doom ourselves from reckoning. Help us, Lord, convict our hearts, the spirit. Help us not to grieve him, not to quench him. Um, what Brendan said to us, Lord, may it be a convicting word. And we believe that your power of the word has the power to change us, living and active. And Lord, I pray that we won't be passively listening and ritualistically coming to church every Sunday, not having an impact in our lives, I pray, for this church. In Jesus' name, in your name, Lord. Amen. Uh, have a blessed week, everybody. And uh, there's tea and coffee. Uh, we'll enjoy fellowship.